As the midterm elections get closer, the race for Missouri's 2nd Congressional District is heating up. Many political prognosticators believe that Democrats have a good chance of retaking the House this year. And if they do, the party may gain the most ground in places like Congresswoman Ann Wagner's 2nd District, which takes in a big portion of the St. Louis suburbs. Wagner contends she's well-positioned to fend off a potential blue wave. She joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking to talk about her race against Democrat Court Van Ostrin. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. And I'm Joe Manish. Elections should be about your accomplishments. What have you done to qualify you for the position and why are you qualified to run? I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufius Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufius Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in beautiful South St. Louis County, Missouri. This is Joe Manis. And our guest today is Ann Wagner, the congresswoman from Missouri's 2nd District. This is the first time I think we've done a, a show, politically speaking, in South St. Louis County, Joe. I, I, we're always breaking new ground on this show. <laughs> I guess we are. I've been here a couple times. Uh, actually, this particular operation, Republican operation in South County, A, the RNC is involved down here. B, Governor uh, Mike Parson was here just a couple right. months ago. That's right. Did a big event here. So this has become a hotbed of Republican activity. So, so, so we have about four of these locations that are jointly uh, funded and uh, staffed by the Missouri Republican Party and the Republican National Committee because Missouri is important this year and uh, it's going very well. There are about 15 across the state, but four that actually touch Missouri's second congressional district. Yeah, in fact, that's what I was going to ask you because I've been at the one which is off Manchester. That, that, there's one in West County. There's one here in South County on Merrimack Bottoms. There's one in Imperial in uh, in Jefferson County and then one in St. Charles. So three are technically in the district, but all four service the second district and beyond. So and these are a lot of a lot of young people and a lot of our volunteers um, of, of both old and new, a lot of school kids that are working on their some of their uh, service hours are coming out. We've hit over 200 my campaign alone with this groups and this these out this uh, uh, infrastructure that they've invested in have now made over 234,000 voter contacts. That is the new number where we are. 234,000, and that's both phone calls, doors knocked, postcards sent out. I just gave a rally and motivated the troops the best I could, telling them that uh, it's go time. We're three weeks out, and it's time to to a lot of most people have made up their minds and we need to make sure that we keep that intensity up and get voters to the polls. Yeah, some people have been telling me on both sides, like within the last week, that this is basically a base election. I mean, how some see it, that it's not so much about attracting new voters at this point. It's all about getting your base out. I mean, is that how you see that? Well, it's a, in, in a, a district like the second district, it can be both. Uh, I give a lot of crossover voters, I will tell you. It's a, we are a pretty independent voter in, in Missouri. 
where people will uh, zigzag across the, the, the ticket uh, and, and what I call the ticket splitters. So I count on independents to vote for me, even those that, that are lean uh, Democrats to vote on me. This is a district that is heavy with suburban will, women, fairly um, highly educated and fairly affluent uh, in general. And uh, we get a lot of crossover votes. So uh, we know who our voters are, though, and it's our job to turn them out. Uh, and along with uh, the base, which uh, both bases are, in fact, very motivated. Now, um, to g- give our listeners like a 60-second th- summary of your life, and, really? Well, I mean, just so that people have a sense of where you come from, even though Jason and I obviously know your history, but I think it'd be good to hear people hear it in your Well, this, this district is home to me. It's personal. Uh, people hear me say that all the time. Born and raised here. Uh, raised my own family here. Been your parents ran a furniture. My, I, right. My parents had a small little business, a carpet uh, business. I worked in their two stores from the age of 12 on. That's kind of what, where I learned, learned uh, uh, the overreach of government. My father used to pound the table saying all he wanted was a government off his back and out of his way so he could provide goods and service, take care of his family, uh, you know, provide for his, uh, uh, his employees. He'd love this new tax cut and jobs plan that we put forward that allows people in Missouri 2nd District to keep about 3700 more dollars of their hard-earned Money and uh, and he also like would like the, the the regulatory reform we've been able to get done in this 115th co- Congress. But I went on. I've raised my family here, three kids. Uh, my husband and I have been married 31 years. We live in this district. We uh, work in this district. We we go to church in this district and we volunteer in this district. Uh, the St. Louis metro- metropolitan area is uh, is home. And we can answer the where'd you go to high school question. <laughs> I was just going to ask you where Coriezu Academy. Okay. So, you know, this is, what, your third time running for this seat or fourth time? This will be my fourth. I've served now for almost six years. Um, yeah, you were elected in 2012. 2012, and uh, I'm running for my fourth, uh, fourth re-election. And it's a privilege to represent this district, and uh, that is my, my, my home. Uh, this, for me, uh, is a calling. It's not a job. And uh, to have the opportunity to go and to... Uh, to work for the people of the 2nd District in Washington, D.C. is one of my highest honored. I believe that there is still work to be done and uh, that we are getting results uh, for my constituents and for the American people, and I'm anxious to, uh, uh, to move ahead. What do you see as your key achievements, particularly in this last couple years? Well, you know, I'm, I serve on the Financial Services Committee, and I have a subcommittee gavel there, and I'd say some of the banking reforms that we have done that are that are very Main Street, not Wall Street, the regulatory reform, uh, allowing people to save for their retirement future is very, very important to me. Uh, the work that I have done on human trafficking is, is what I'm probably most notable, it's most notable. We had FOSTA, the past, and the president signed in April the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. I was at the White House again yesterday uh, when the president talked about this landmark legislation and the impact that it's had in shutting down about 80% of the online commercial sex advertising that's out there. We took down Backpage.com and all of the others. As we watched uh, human trafficking move from the streets to the Internet, the whole business model has changed. $150 $150 billion business. So that's why big tech and others fought me the whole time across uh, across the way for six years. But we got a major piece of legislation through with a huge criminal deterrent, uh, a civil deterrent that will, civil piece that will give 
Victims and Survivors Restitution, and then we actually went in and were able to amend the Communications Decency Act to make it clear that Congress never intended for the uh, Internet to be a red-light district. So that is a major accomplishment that we've gotten done that I believe will save lives. In 2016, you made some headlines after the Access Hollywood tape came out where you disavowed yourself, at least temporarily, with then-candidate Trump. You've obviously worked very well with President Trump on a host of issues. What has changed between 2016 and 2018, and what allowed you to work with him even after those, what I would say everybody agrees, those very disturbing comments came out? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an independent thinker. I'm a principled person, and I'm my own person. And when I disagree with somebody, I um, make, that, make that clear. But I'm very pleased with the direction that this administration has taken, and I think most of my con my constituents are pleased with the president's policies. Um, I, I, we've seen results. We've got economic growth that's well above the Obama era of when we were told the new norm was going to be anywhere from 1% to 2%. We're well above 4% in economic growth, full employment, consumer confidence high, manufacturing jobs coming back. We're negotiating trade deals that are, are coming together. I have disagreed with the president on some of his trades and, and, and tariff uh, approach. Yeah, in fact, I was going to ask you about uh, that because of tariffs. I, I have, and uh, I, I worry about our farmers. Um, I'm, I worried about uh, the cost and the price of soybeans and uh, some of the aluminum and steel tariffs that are affecting our beverage and food can industry what the multiplier effect, how sustained we can make that will be on uh, on the consumer down the road. Uh, I'm glad that we got the new NAFTA, which is now called the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, USMCA. We'll all have to get used to I that. I don't think you can really <laughs> use it. I don't think, I don't, you can't, it, NAFTA rolls off the tongue. That one really doesn't, but continue. I know, it's USMCA, but I, now I thought. Although there get, isn't a lot of difference between the two. Well, uh, well, I got some pretty strong provisions in there for human trafficking and human rights uh, uh, also, which we were allotted for. I met with Leitzinger this past week also, or Lighthizer, pardon me, the U.S. trade rep who talked about the Wagner language that we put in the new NAFTA that is going to uh, inform uh, Mexico and Canada as we move forward. Uh, I, I think there's some, uh, some, we're making some positive progress there. I think China is the big culprit. We want free and fair trade, free and fair trade. But we also have to be careful about um, uh, uh, the gentle balance between uh, those that uh, our farming community, our manufacturing community, uh, and uh, their needs to export. There's no question that this race, um, your Democratic opponent has more money and is probably more competitive than your other Democratic opponents. And one of the things that Court uh, Van Ostrand is really attacking you on television about is health care. Um, I think particularly he is taking aim at the fact that you voted for legislation in 2017 that would substantially roll back the Affordable Care Act and is basically arguing you voted to get rid of all these great health care protections. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that because I feel like we're going to be seeing that argument a lot and sure. you should definitely get your say in. Well, I, I appreciate that and I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to speak and to clarify um, my record. And yes, my, my uh, opponent is very well funded, but well funded by coastal liberal elites that are sending money through an organization called Act Blue. The money's not coming from Missouri or the district. The money that my opponent is raising is coming from uh, law firms. He's, a, he's an attorney. He was an attorney in Kansas City before he moved here a couple years ago, uh, uh, and uh, an attorney now here in St. Louis. 
and Act Blue has been sending him hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've seen this across the country. Um, and in the Senate races, too, some are raising millions of dollars. But he's putting it up on, on TV um, and talking about, uh, about health care, which, uh, which is something that is uh, of great concern for all of us. Our current system through the ACA is, is unaffordable. It's unworkable. Unwork- we need something that's patient-centered. And well, what specifically would you do? Well, I will tell you, and I want to be very clear about pre-existing conditions, because protecting people with pre-existing conditions is just my one of my very top priorities. And it has been since the, the very day that I uh, came to Congress, and I have worked on and been an original co-sponsor on legislation like the Pre-Existing Conditions Prevention Act. And this was back in February of 2017, and uh, and it, it specifically maintains the protections in the ACA uh, for people with pre-existing conditions. Two things that were positive in the Affordable Care Act for me were people with pre-existing conditions. They should have full coverage. They should be able to take that with them. And if parents want to allow their kids to stay on their health care to the age of 26, I think that was a a great idea too. But insurance companies and, and the work that we did um, when we repealed Obamacare, it made it clear that insurance companies were prohibited from denying or not renewing coverage for pre-existing conditions, period. They, they are banned from rescinding coverage based on pre-existing condi- uh, conditions, period. And insurance companies are banned from excluding benefits based on pre-existing conditions, Well, most of, the, most of the bills, though, that the Republicans have advanced that have really either gotten through a chamber or have gotten a serious vote on the Senate floor have, while they have required coverage for people with pre-existing conditions, did not cover the pre-existing condition. Uh, I mean, how would you deal with that? Well, as I said, the, the legislation that I have supported, and there are two probably key landmark ones that I'm going to fight to make sure that we get through, is this Pre-Existing Conditions Protection Act that specifically will cover the pre-existing condition. Has it gone through the with, House With yet? the people, through the House, not the Senate. Um, and then also a new piece of legislation that I think is a new uh, concept and idea that will actually uh, put your right to have your pre-existing condition covered in your HIPAA rights. So I have signed on to that legislation, and I'm working on this. I think this is settled. We all know people in our lives. We have family members. I have family members that uh, have suffered from breast cancer and prostate cancer, Crohn's disease, uh, uh, type 1 diabetes. This is uh, every, everyone we know, friends, neighbors, family, have pre-existing conditions. Those should be covered and be able to go with them uh, when they change uh, their health care or, or change their job. Uh, remember that the majority of, when it comes to health care, the majority of my constituents here in the 2nd District, 77%, in fact, receive their health care privately through their employer, their, empo- their employer-based health care. And there are things that we're doing through association health care plans, HSAs, that are trying to bring down the cost of, of health care so that that private insurance provider is uh, cost is lower. So it's our job to try and work to put this back in the free market, take it out of the government's hand. My opponent and most of the Democrats running now want this, quote, Medicare for all, which is really just uh, socialist, federally run uh, uh, health care, single-payer health care uh, for all. And what that really means is Medicare for none. And it will take away everyone's health care. If you're the 77% of people that get your health care 
in the second district through your employer, you will lose your health care if you like it because you will be going to a government-run, not patient-centered uh, health care system that, uh, and like I said, I don't care what, what you give the federal government, they're going to mess it up just like they did Obamacare. So Now, they've been contending that actually the idea was to make it an option rather than mandatory, that in other words, if you didn't have health care through your job, you were a part of the 23% that you could then purchase it through Medicare. I mean, that's what they're saying, what they're proposing. Well, it, What's your thoughts about that? Well, it costs $32 trillion. So I don't know. They can't afford to do it. Not only is it a bad idea to have the federal government in charge of our health care again, we're trying to unwind that system that has brought us down and raised uh, costs up so high over the last eight to 10 years. Um, it's a it's a bad, bad idea. It's going to take away people's current Medicare, their current veterans' uh, health care, their private employer-based health care. All of that will be taken away. And I don't know how much you'll have to raise taxes in order to cover a $32 trillion tab for this. So it's a real socialist idea. I don't know why or how it's caught uh, such fever. We've been uh, people have disliked Obamacare for so long, and we worked so hard to to try and, and give uh, our constituents more choice, lower uh, costs, more access to, as I said, patient-centered health care. So I'm going to continue to fight for that, but I'm going to make sure that uh, my constituents' pre-existing conditions are covered. So what about the 23% who don't get it through their employer, who maybe need to go through the free market? I mean, because basically what the proposals would be, wouldn't they get rid of the uh, uh, market? No, what we've got, are, uh, the proposals, the way things are in the second district right now, 77% uh, get it through their uh, employer. About 14% receive their health care in the second district through um, uh, Medicare. We have a very small Medicaid uh, group, and less than 4%, less than 4% receive their uh, insurance on an Obamacare ACA exchange. So, uh, you know, certainly what we're wanting to do is to move those people into affordable um, health care and health coverage. I mean, we should have Medicaid and Medicare safety um, nets for those who, who need them. But we ought to be able to move them into the private sector with uh, association health care plans, uh, uh, catastrophic care programs. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, right now we didn't pass this through the Senate, so what we have still stands. But... But I'm, as it affects this district, it's a very uh, small percentage. A couple of other things when we talked with your opponent that I also want to talk about. He is a proponent of restricting some or some firearms restrictions. He has said that you haven't been outspoken enough whenever there's been a school shooting. What would be your response to that? And what would be your, your, your general thought on restricting firearms? Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, as a, I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. Uh, we have large school districts, and uh, in this second congressional district, I care deeply about coming up with solutions that are going to keep our children and our communities and families safe. I am a staunch defender of the Second um, Amendment. Um, I'm a proponent of gun safety, and I believe in these state-approved training courses that need to be taken if you're going to have a conceal and carry. I've taken them. Everybody, Although it's not, a, it's not required in Missouri. And I, but I am a strong proponent of it, and I believe that if you're going to carry a gun, you should be properly trained to carry a gun um, and, and doing it. You know, I recognize that the shootings across the countries have been absolutely tragic, 
and uh, awful and horrific to watch. We we took action in Congress, uh, and I've been very vocal about the action that we've taken uh, about how current background checks uh, have system it must be improved. And we voted for, and I supported uh, the Fix Nix Act, uh, which was in fact signed into law by the president, that will ad- address uh, uh, our background je- check uh, system, along with. Uh, I supported and voted for the Stop School Violence Act, which is going to give grants, which was also signed, give grants and more security resources to our school districts. And and I implored DESE, went straight to uh, the Department of Education, secondary education, to, to of elementary and secondary education, and told them to apply for these grants. It will give them technology um, that includes metal detectors, lighting, locks, security fissure, uh, features, all sorts of things. We put $2.3 billion of funding into keeping our schools and communities and our kids safe. Would you advocate arming teachers or other school personnel? That's up to the local uh, school districts. It depends on where you live and and what's best. To me, federal government should, uh, while we can provide resources and and do some things on on, on a big scale in terms of the the big background check system that everyone has to feed into, really it comes down to just that, Joe, that that there's so much more that should and can be done at the state and local level. Level the federal federal government can't legislate all the, the the ills of society away. We've got to have both our our our, our parents, our school districts making decisions, uh, our our local uh, uh, municipalities and state governments. Some of the local uh, municipalities are looking at things like a GVRO, a gun violence restraining order. You know what what those are good ideas and things that can keep people safe. But those are not things that should be handled at the federal level. They should be handled at the local level. We talked with Court Van Osteren about his view on abortion rights. He supports abortion rights. I know that you've been a longtime opponent of abortion rights. You're opposed to abortion except for the life of the mother. Is that is that correct? Well, well, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely a staunch pro-life um, advocate and have supported and will continue to support uh, a lot of uh, pro-life legislation uh, in Congress as we move forward. Now, I've, I've have voted for and consistently voted for federal legislation that is is incremental. It includes it, it, about every piece of legislation, Jason, that I voted for when I look took a look back did include exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother. Uh, that is, those are generally the um, uh, uh, the exceptions that are in most of the legislation that has moved forward. You know, I, I believe that life begins at conception. So, uh, but yet still, I'm a champion in leading the, the 20-week pain-capable uh, abortion legislation that says a child feels pain at 20 weeks, you can't abort it at 20 weeks or beyond. So sometimes when we're passing legislation, we know we're doing it in an incremental fashion. Um, you know, to me, it, it, abortion is heartbreaking, no matter what the circumstances are. You know, I, I, I hope, hope and live for a day when... Not only is it illegal, but that it is unthinkable. Well, what about uh, women? I know there's been some uh, cases highlighted lately that have had their uh, fetus has had uh, very severe uh, deformities. They were either going to die right after they were born or they have Down syndrome. I mean, there's different things that women have chosen to terminate their pregnancies for. How would you deal with that? Or do you think that is something that should not be allowed? No, I, I would um, I would certainly not be in favor of of what I would call a, a gender side or sex selection type. Um, well, we're, we're abortions not talking about that. Or yeah. or um, I mean, obviously, it's a very personal decision. It's something that 
that uh, individuals need you know need need to make. But uh, I I see the 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 value and the the humanity and the godliness in every child. Um, um, and while there can be some tragic and difficult circumstances out there that. Uh, that moms and dads need to make. To me, uh, rape, incest, and life of the mother are the three exceptions that um, that I would uh, that I have kind of consistently voted for as we move forward. Uh, yeah, I, as I said, I see the, the value and the worth in every in every life. Well, I want to talk about the tax cuts a little bit. Yes. Um, I mean, there have been controversies about whether or not the tax cuts have really helped mm-hmm. um, the middle class. I know um, you were a big supporter of him. Can you talk about um, that? Also, the minimum wage. I mean, there's going to be a proposed minimum wage uh, hike on the state ballot. Uh, There's some in other states. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Well, um, the tax plan went went very well um, uh, and has certainly been a benefit for uh, my district. Not not only have the employers been able to uh, increase wages and benefits, uh, to uh, my constituents here in the second district, and give out bonuses. Uh, we've seen those wages rise, but when they go to pay their taxes this April, the average family of four in Missouri will be keeping thirty-seven hundred dollars more of their hard-earned money. So I, I think it has have been. I don't, I don't think it's crumbs or scraps. I think it has helped, and also what it's helped to do is, is to spur economic growth. Uh, people, what people are saying to me is. Not only are they saying, "Am I making more money and um, and feel safe and secure in my job?" My kid does. My neighbor does. Uh, this person at, at, at church feels safer and more secure. I'm happy to go out and spend more of my discretionary dollars on on things. Uh, we're working to try and make them permanent, and also working on provisions um, that will offer better retirement savings opportunities for our. Um, uh, our constituents and those that are working. So, do you think there should be a minimum wage? I mean, this is going to be on the ballot. I, I mean, I am not. I, it. I am not in favor of a of uh, the, the the federal government uh, uh, dictating the minimum wage. I think the market should bear that. Right now, we are seeing uh, here, you know, people working in in. Uh, the fast food restaurants are being paid fifteen bucks an hour. It seems to be the norm. Everyone has lifted their minimum wage. You go to North Dakota. Where there's a boom with fracking, if you're if you're a, a fast food worker in North Dakota, you're getting paid twenty five dollars an hour with a thousand dollar signing bonus. To me, the, the the market should dictate, and what we've seen is it is it's working. Wages are rising, minimum wages are rising, benefits are increasing. People are being incentivized to try and stay and and, and work because our biggest problem that I'm hearing from employers. Is that they have their workforce needs aren't being met. We're not able to get. Um, uh, they're not able to find enough workers, and so we're working on some things through our, our workforce and education uh, department and agency to try and come up with working with our community colleges, uh, associate degrees, uh, apprenticeships, internships, ways to get young people kind of fed into the the system, especially in some of the skilled labor areas, as much as we possibly can. Final question before our time elapses. Um, You know, there is a feeling this is going to be a more democratic year than the past two election cycles. Clearly, again, your opponent has more money and organization than your prior opponents. How are you going into this election? How are you feeling the environment is toward Republican candidates like you? And is there any fear that 
you could be caught beneath the blue wave that a lot of Democrats are hoping for. Well, I, I, I think that the, the blue wave may be a little blown out of uh, proportion, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I take every election seriously. Anybody who knows my background, we talked a little bit about my growing up here in the second district and the, the work I've done. But I've also, you know, I, was, I chaired the Missouri Republican Party for seven years, co-chaired the National Party. Um, any candidate that uh, doesn't earn their vote, any candidate that doesn't stay close to their constituents, that doesn't come home on a, a, a weekly basis like I do to spend time uh, meeting and working in their district is going to lose. They've got to come home. They've got to work hard. They've got to earn the vote. Uh, we are getting our message out. Uh, we've got the resources to do so. We've been full up on, on television. Yeah, in fact, I was going to ask you about that because the last two previous elections, you didn't have to run ads. We, we, well, we would uh, not as heavily as this particular okay. Okay. Um, uh, ad. We've seen, like I said, these coastal elites are through Act Blue that are not from the state are sending sending money into all Democrat candidates. We're going to have to get a handle on that process and figure out the legality of the dark money uh, essence of, of, of that because it's very odd because they can send in these low dollars monthly, 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 and you're not sure who they are and who the donor is or where they come from. It's, it's, uh, and they're funding these campaigns in large measure. So you've got to fight back to get your message out. And it's time. I'm, I'm, I am pleased that the ads that we've run that have talked about the service to my community and my country that have talked about our veterans and are now are talking about the lives that we're saving through this uh, sex trafficking legislation that we were able to, after six long years, get through both chambers and get a president to sign. And it, the deterrent effect, the websites that's shutting down have been significant. So um, I hope I've earned my constituents vote. I'm, I try to get out and work it hard every day to make sure I do. Well, one of the, the new attack ads that Court Van Oster has put up has been faulting the uh, tax cut vote, but saying that it 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 will result in forced cuts to Medicare and Social Security. Is that there is anything a blatant you lie, blatant lie, and it's not cited anywhere on um, on his website. He just tosses it out there. It's an old scare tactic that the Democrats have used. Remember the old poor old commercials from the early 2000s when they were, you know, throwing granny over the cliff. I have never, never voted to cut Medicare or Social Security. In fact, President Trump ran on a platform of not touching uh, Social Security or Medicare. So, you know, he can, he can throw dirt at the uh, at the at the wall, but that one doesn't stick. Not not with me. We're out of time. Thank you very much, Congresswoman. My pleasure. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Jay Rosenbaum, follow me on Twitter. Joe. Jay Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. How can people follow follow you on Twitter? Or at, yes, at, at Ann L Wagner or at Rep Ann Wagner. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. 